Welcome to Season 6 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? Want to expand your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. This episode is the first part of a two-part special series on the latest issue of New Directions for Student Leadership titled Leadership Education Through Complex Transitions. In this episode, we're joined by two of the issue's eight co-editors, Dr. Darren Pierre and John Wang. Hello and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University, and we are both thrilled about today's episode of the podcast with NDSL Special Issue Co-Editors, Drs. Darren Pierre from Maryland and doctoral student John Wang from UC San Diego. They recently edited Volume 2021, Issue Number 172, released in the winter, entitled Leadership Education Through Complex Transitions. So before we get into welcoming them to the show, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. So this is a special two-part series for this special edition. We're featuring two co-editors at a time. We've scheduled this way to make sure we give the editors a voice in this experience. So we've had some of the group on, specifically Michelle, Carrie, and Kathy in various capacities. And so with this episode, we're going to speak to two editors, and then we'll have the next two editors in a part two, um, just to make sure that we're fulfilling our partnership. Um, We got to this partnership through Drs. Susan Comavez and Kathy Guthrie, who contacted us about engaging in some partnership around promoting new issues of the series as they were released. It actually turned out that we were already interviewing past editors in an informal capacity, so this partnership made sense for us, so we're excited to continue it. And we're actually celebrating just about a year of partnership. So we started in February 2021 with uh, Drs. Mark Hurwitz and Rachel Thompson. They shared their perspective on followership education. We had Drs. Krista Soria and Matt Thompson talk about evidence-based practices and leadership development. Dr. Sonia Sonia Ardoin, fellow Florida Stater, um, she's going to discuss leadership learning and social class. And then more recently, Drs. Jasmine Collins and Rich Whitney discussed advancing racial equity in leadership education. And so those topics already fit into our vision for this podcast. And so we're excited today to welcome to our show, Darren and John. Darren and John, thank y'all for joining us. Thank you for having us. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation to be here. Yeah, no, we're super excited to to jump into the conversation, and we always like to do a little bit of uh, the how we met geography. So, uh, so John, I know for for sure. So we we would have interacted at I think it was ILA in Ottawa, right? And then we um, and then you were assigned to to me through the uh, Emerging Scholars Research Consortium, which was which which is a joy to get to know you better through that process and, and get to learn a lot about the work that you're doing on your dissertation journey at uh, at San Diego and. It's such a rewarding thing that for our listeners, if they're not familiar with that, part of the uh, International Leadership Association's conference, and if you're a doc student, check it out. So um, they pair emerging scholars, junior scholars, doc students with faculty that have been in the field for some time, and it's a mentor-mentee relationship, and you get to present a poster and uh, and present your work at the conference in a in a dedicated session. And it was it was just great to, to get to know you better there and then. Uh, you ended up applying to be a, a facilitator for uh, Leadership Education Academy. So now we're working together in that capacity as as co-facilitators. And uh, so that's been 
that's been a lot of fun. And I think, and then Lauren and, and John, that they're just meeting for the first time virtually right now, right? So yep. go ahead, I already Lauren. feel like John and I are best friends. And so Darren and I actually have an established relationship. It's actually our four-year anniversary. We were introduced by email electronically in February of 2018. And Darren was a co-lead for Leadership. I was hosting my last Leadership uh, in the Office of Leadership Development. It's interesting because the day I got the email, like three days later, I went on an interview for my current job. So I didn't know, like all the things that were happening at that time, I didn't know that that's where I would be. I think right after Leadership, I think I our, we hosted our institute, I left. And so Darren, it's so nice to see you again. And John, it's so great to meet you for the first time. Mother Nature brought us together. Lauren, because uh, we had a tornado while we were together. And, we do. Uh, and right before we started, we had no water and we have no electricity. And let me tell you, if anything will bond you with another person, it's 24 hours without water and without electricity. I, you have to set the record straight, though. We do treat our co-leads much better than oh. that. It was just this. We were out in the middle of the woods. Anybody knows leadership, you go to the middle of the woods, you have a week's worth of great engaging leadership education and then you come back with 60 best friends and 10 co-facilitators that are best co-leads facilitators all of that so we are forever bonded but we did have to cut our short because we didn't have our basic needs uh, and my students were mad at you too they were like no we don't need water and electricity like we want to keep doing this leadership stuff so that's a testament to your facilitation testament to the wonderful people at temple university and there i'm trying to i i feel like it's almost definitely Kathy Guthrie who introduced us at some point. I, I, I think LAI 2018. Were you with that one or am I imagining that one? Were you at Orlando? Let me just say this, Dan. I feel like we were friends for life. And like, just like the friend <laughs> that you didn't know you already had. Right. So you don't know where to place them. Mm -hmm. I think it's West Palm Beach. Okay. ILA. That 20, was in 2018 also. 2018. I believe that is it, which would have been before LAI. In Orlando yeah, by like two months. I, okay, like so 2018 feels right. Yeah, here it is. I think that was it. But I mean, again, for your listeners, Dan is like my forever <laughs> friend. So I don't really when it's forever friend. There's no there's no beginning. There's no end. Which That's right. He doesn't know that, but in my mind, we're gonna be friends for life. So yes, no, the feelings mutual uh, for sure. And then I know we got a chance to work on the National Leadership Education Research Agenda together on the the chapter around professional development for leadership educators. Shortly thereafter, very much in 2019 or into 2019, going into 2020, and then uh, you as well are one of our brand new facilitators for uh, for LEA. So all right, enough about all that. Um, let's jump in and learn a little bit about about y'all's process. And I know Lauren's got. Uh, going to kind of get us going with with that and learn a little bit more about what y'all learned and and uh, how y'all work together with that amazing team of, of uh, co-authors. Yeah, so we always start with with kind of the, the overall process of being a, a co-editor in this space. And so could y'all share maybe, you know, how you got from, you know, getting the invitation to edit to actually seeing the issue published and, and live and available for folks to, to download and read and, and use in leadership education? Well, I'm happy to, to start with the earlier part of the process, which, you know, <laughs> when you asked me that question, I full, it took me a full, probably 10 seconds to, to think back on when we got started. And Darren, correct me if I'm wrong, that was March of 2020, right? We, we got the invite, or maybe April of 2020, it was right after COVID started uh, hitting our campuses. And 
And I remember thinking, so the invitation was from uh, Kathy Guthrie and Carrie Priest and, and being on a Zoom call with them and them saying, do you want to do this? And, and, and I sat there and I was like, well, you know, I don't have to commute anymore. I might as well, might as well fill the time with something. And, and, and that was genuinely kind of my initial thought process of here's a chance to be a part of something cool. I have the time to do it. And then what it, be and thinking that we would, you know, talk about what we were going to write, we were going to go for it or what we were going to put together, go forth and, and put the, the issue together. And what it ended up being, because we utilized the co-inquiry process is we had these weekly Zoom calls that ended up saving me through COVID. I mean, really, it was this weekly call that I knew I would see these people, we would get together, we would talk about whatever the heck was going on and, and, and process. I, I mean, that, that, and that obviously there's a there's a second part to that, which is the actual identifying of the topics, writing of the issue, right? The the more logistical pieces, but that that beginning formation part of our work was um, what's really coming to mind right now when I think back to the issue. And Dan and Lori, you know, when we got the invitation, what we were experiencing was a pandemic called COVID-19. We then had the pandemic of Breonna Taylor, the pandemic of George Floyd, the pandemic of Black Lives Matter and a plaza being erected in D.C. to really illuminate the conversations that were critical at the moment and still are critical now and had been before. We just been giving it the attention deserved around racial inequality. We had the pandemic of Asian hate crimes in Atlanta. We had the pandemic of an insurrection. So when we came into this conversation and we're thinking about how do we reconsider leadership learning, it was from the paradigm of thinking about the pandemic, COVID-19. What we ended up with with this volume was something that spoke to the cumulative pandemics that we um, were experiencing and many of them of which we're still experiencing now. I love that you shared that and simply because so I it found myself in a very similar space so my my dissertation is looking at positive interaction during COVID-19 but when I was going back and forth with my chair at the time I was I was still finishing coursework and I was like but there are like multiple pandemics happening and I'd only seen I think it was like Sean Harper and there was a woman from MIT they were like the only two people talking about multiple pandemics everything I saw focused on COVID-19 as if these other other things weren't exasperated by it. And, and so, and then in my work, I started looking at well, what does pandemic actually mean? And, you know, how does, is it social? Is it political? Is it racial? Like, what are these terms that we're dealing with? And then as the, as it progressed, you got to an economic pandemic too. So I love that you say that in your process, working together and connecting that it grew from just this, this health pandemic or this health issue into something that encompassed more. And I feel like this makes your research that much more timely because most of the publications are only talking COVID-19 and it's still to this day, there's no one that's talking about that intersection for sure. It's interesting that y'all, you started with a co-inquiry process with your group, with a group of co-editors and that seems to have absolutely immersed itself into what y'all wrote about as well, which I think is an, an interesting, interesting outcome of, of the process. And, and so the, while y'all were active in, gosh, what, like six or seven of the, of the chapters here in some capacity, y'all actually co-authored one of the, the chapters, I think it's chapter six, um, called uh, Leadership Learning Reconsidered, Adopting New Considerations for Practice. And one of the things that y'all talk about 
quite a bit in that article is around dialogue and this like liberatory pedagogical approach, which I think is 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 interesting because, you know, again, y'all did a lot of that yourselves. And so you learned through the process, but it's certainly a big part of leadership education as a, as a phenomenon and, and as a process. It's, you know, in the, the research that I've done personally, exploring that for my dissertation research, we won't say what year that was, but fi- finding out that discussion is the signature pedagogy for, for leadership education. And then later on learning that that's true in both undergraduate and graduate and online versions of, of leadership education. So I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, liberatory pedagogy and, you know, why do you think that dialogue is still so relevant and important for leadership education? You know, I think I appreciate the question, Dan. One thing I want to do is give a plug for it. There's an NDSL edition that came out that was edited by Larry Roper in 2019 that really speaks about dialogue and its impact in uh, leadership uh, education, leadership learning. I recommend to your audience to take a look at that. Liberatory pedagogy is just basically speaking to the fact that we can't maintain systems of oppression in the ways in which we think about learning. Like I can't, I got to liberate myself and how we think about learning. Learning can come from more than me reading a text and regurgitating that in some type of way. There can be learning in storytelling. There can be learning in artifacts and troubling things like that. And there can be learning that takes place in dialogue and freeing up, liberating our thought processes around how leadership learning takes place is a really powerful tool. And dialogue, I think is a really great thing to do that. In the article, I talk about my uh, Bernie, Sir, my Bernie Sanders loving uncle and my Donald Trump loving aunt and my ability to hold space and conversation with both. Some of them, one comes with more difficulties than the other, but the importance of being able to do that, I think is more critical now than ever before. And as I was thinking about this conversation around dialogue, I kept on coming back to the social change model and controversy with civility. And this quote that uh, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Patty Perillo, shared with me years ago that we can only take people as far as we have come. And we think about the social change model as a theoretical framework to work with college students. It's a theoretical framework for everybody. Because if you're not able to sit at the Thanksgiving table as a leadership educator or any holiday table that you may celebrate or observe, and you can't have conversation around difference there, then how are you able to adequately and powerfully speak to the difficulties of doing that with your students? And so utilizing libertary libertary pedagogy and one of those approaches specifically being dialogue to illuminate leadership learning, um, I think at this moment in time, um, to the point that you made, Lauren, about being in multiple pandemics, I think this moment in time called for that more than others we've seen in recent history. I think there, there's an incredibly practical piece of this too, right? Of, of Darren, what, what you mentioned just now of being able to hold a space for, in your mind, right? Mentally speaking, for two just conflicting views. And, and, and sometimes we don't give enough space for our students to even practice that, right? And, and so how can we use the classroom as, as the container to be able to have those sorts of discussions, especially because of these multiple de- pandemics that we, we just mentioned, right? If we want to talk about 
um, you know, COVID-19 and masking, sure, that's one thing, but, but here's this opportunity to really examine our fundamental beliefs and what we value. When um, the, the killings of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd happened, ha you know, let's not pretend like these issues are happening outside of the classroom and they don't affect us on a day-to-day -day basis. Let's bring it in the classroom. Let's have the hard conversations and, and really practically give the students an opportunity to try to engage in that discourse uh, with civility. Yeah. yeah, you, oh, you make ahead, so many good points. Sorry, Dan, really quickly, and then I'll step back. No, you're good. You, you make so many good, y'all both make so many really good points, especially because like in the pandemic, my, my, once we transferred online, transitions online, and the world was kind of going all over the place, I, I really developed this mantra, two things can be true, just meaning that the insert, it, it's okay if I don't like a like political candidate and you still like that person. It's okay if I don't like them and I still talk about them in class. Like there, I was just having a discussion yesterday about social media platforms and I had shared how a recent uh, federal like government leader had developed his own and I, I shared it and our students are almost shocked because I'm like, well, no, we can still talk about these things without getting into how we feel. And I felt like th there's got to be a separation between the conversation and then the action or feelings like that you have around that. Like I can still champion my own beliefs, but also create that space where we can have good dialogue and good conversation. And I think our students want to do that, but we aren't always giving them the space to do that at all. And some of that is our own fear and our own bias. And it was, it's so interesting, like the kind of timeliness of it. My school did a op-ed piece, our student newspaper, and the student said she switched her whole major because this political science professor had been forcing his opinion on her. And she was kind of like, I knew it wasn't the right, I, I knew that this wasn't everybody, but the experience that I had didn't make me want to register for another class in that space. And it's like, in those moments, you're changing somebody's career path just because you like this one person more than the other. And I don't know that we talk enough about those opportunities and how we, we have to be responsible for the conversation in those spaces. And I feel like, but, but like leadership educators, I feel like some of these things are natural for us, especially the discussion piece. So it's good to see it in this complexity in the in a missed complexity, it's still kind of holding firm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that, and we've talked about this on on our on previous episodes of the the modeling role that that leadership educators often take, and the inclusive environments and the psychological safety and what have you that that we're trying to create, and through you know liberatory pedagogy, using that as a I guess as a as a name for this, or as one of the one of the ways to describe the approach is you know if you're going to be talking about complex issues that involve multiple experiences and, and diversities of experiences and what have you, providing that forum for everybody to share their voice to be a part of the conversation like that doesn't happen in all forms but it's something really unique about leadership education and i think one of the reasons that we utilize discussion so much and we're always careful and dave rosh and i wrote about this in, in one of our new directions articles about like you know not just using discussion for the sake of using discussion or because you know hey i didn't prepare anything today so let's just talk but you know like having a having an agenda and having some you know learning outcomes or goals for that for that process and holding that space where all the voices in the class or the workshop or whatever you know have an opportunity to contribute and to share and to be heard and facilitating that is you know one of the most honestly probably probably one of the most rewarding things that we get to do as leadership educators. You know, I think I would just 
offer and add, because I agree with everything that you all have just said, dialogue right now is at a deficit. We are in the Instagram 90-second reel TikTok era, and we were talking about the social change model in my class on Monday night, on my introduction to leadership class. And I asked the students to take the social change model, which has those three components, the individual, the group, and the society values, and revisit it in 2022. And it was so interesting because one of the groups took the um, the ideal of controversy with civility, and they moved it to society values. They said, this needs to be a society value at this point in an era where we don't communicate like this. And one of the students said, he was like, listen, when I don't like somebody, I just block them. That's what I do. I don't dialogue. I don't, I don't do any of that. And to honor that dialogue is an art form. It is a practice. It's a discipline that we as educators can master. And our students are acknowledging for themselves that in comparison to other generations with the advancement of social media, there's a deficit that has um, developed in how they are able to speak through talk through differences with one another and with others uh, in their community. That's one of my issues with cancel culture, mm -hmm. right? The second you do something wrong, you're canceled. And then there's no, there's no discourse. And, and actually, um, Dan, as you were speaking, something that came up in my mind is I'm a co-instructor right now for a case in point uh, course. So it's an undergraduate course utilizing case in point pedagogy. And, and so the students work on this task throughout the semester um, of working on this project, but also have this uh, task of e examining what's going on um, in terms of the group's dynamics. And, and, um, and one of the debrief sessions for, for class, I, I think this must have just been two, three weeks ago, the students made this really important realization that they had been talking at each other, but not to each other. Right. So so there were these conflicting views, these conflicting opinions, and they were being um, exported into the classroom and, 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 and shared. Right. So for all intents and pe purposes, people were speaking, but they weren't speaking to one another. And, and so then it creates this question of what's discourse, dialogue and um, discussion actually happening when they weren't actually having a conversation with one another. Um, and, and so that's just, you know, something that, that you made me think of. I wonder too, where, where do, I always think about where do they learn these skills and, and is it our job to do that? Like when I start talking with my students about discourse or when I start having discussion, they'll say, oh, well, she said, and I'd be like, oh, Angie. Yeah. Angie said that point, but like, well, related to this and giving them better transitions so they can connect what they're saying to this person and not in this formal activity. Like let's jump into this exercise where we build on each other, but like facilitating it so that they then take it over for us so that they can, like you said, like not taught at each other, but really like look each other in the eye or, or, or acknowledge that person's point and perspective, but also, you know, relate it or tie it or even contra not contradict, but contrast their own perspective in it. I feel like those are the things, and the, but those are hard to develop. Those are hard skills. We are responsible for them, but those are hard skills to develop. Because I think when you speak to Lauren, it's a complexity of human beings. And we have made human beings cartoon characters. It's like you're either Yosemite Sam or Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny, who's the protagonist, and Yosemite Sam, who's the antagonist. And I don't like you. You are dark and evil, and you are wonderful and great. And humans are not. Humans are complex beings. And so honoring the complexity, I love how you said you have the student refer back to the person's name, to look at the person, to be in their humanity. 
that sometimes our difference is not because you're Yosemite Sam and I'm Bugs Bunny, but the difference is, is because our lived experiences and our positionality has informed the paradigms in which we move throughout this world, that if we knew different, we may think different. But from where I sit, these are my truths. And it's not me being bad or you being good. And that, that dichotomy never really speaks to the gray, which is the complexity of human beings. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so just getting a little bit back to the NDSL issue. Um, so these these insights that y'all are bringing sound really incredible, especially considering your own work. Were there other things that you maybe read or saw in, in, in editing or reviewing that surprised you um, that other authors wrote about? Like anything that, that stood out to you that was like, wow, you know, I didn't think about this or that I've heard this before, but it's good to see them build on this. Anything from other authors that maybe surprised you or you connected with? So this wasn't necessarily in writing, but part of the co-inquiry process um, that then turned into writing. And, and I think it timed well with the pandemics, right, is is um, this idea of, of bringing your, your full self in uh, to the classroom. And, and, and so I've known it for the students. I, I've conceptually known it for the instructor. Um, but but I think there was a, a piece around uh, professional socialization that, you know, like I had to be a certain way as a professional or I had to act a certain way as an instructor and, and to take on this persona, right? And, and, and seeing um, the, the co my, my colleagues and, and our peers really develop this idea and talk about how it's, it's just this nice concept in the middle of the pandemic, right? Um, and, and then was pulled in to, to contribute uh, into part of the article um, later on via a narrative response. But, but, but this concept of being able to bring all of who you are in, into the classroom and, and all of the complexity that brings it really uh, struck me. You know, I got to give a shout out to Dr. Carrie Priest. Carrie really kind of shepherded the conversation of co-inquiry. And I get anxiety when there's not structure and we need to move in the structure that is there. We have timelines, we have deadlines, and we need to meet. And life doesn't move with an agenda. You know, you have plans to have meetings until three, then you're gonna to go to the gym at five, and then you're gonna come home at seven, have dinner at eight and be done with your day. But your child gets sick at 11 a.m. and you gotta go pick them up from school. Everything else got canceled. That afternoon run you're gonna do doesn't happen. And the co-inquiry process really opened me and made me available to, as an educator, how am I letting go uh, to utilize the term liberation again, liberating myself from where I think we need to go. It absolutely informed my teaching. And one of the things I talk about in our chapter um, is I had class, I was teaching a summer school class the day George Floyd's video had come out. And typically what I would do is I would maybe acknowledge it at the beginning of the class and then continue on with whatever it is I had planned for that evening. But really what I got attuned to in that moment, especially after seeing that horrific footage for eight minutes and 46 seconds, we couldn't do like we normally do. I had to stop and engage almost in our own co-inquiry of what are you experiencing in your own identities around what you just saw earlier this afternoon and utilize the class in a totally different manner. It's one of the most 
enriching and memorable classes I can remember as a professor, and it had nothing to do with the agenda I had planned. And as educators, I think we've got to honor, yes, the curriculum, the curricula that we have, the intentions that we have, and be deliberate in that. But we, but we can't be so married and bridled to it that we don't allow what's happening in our world. Like right now, we have this Russia-Ukraine situation. I had to take a moment. I'm teaching a global engineering leadership course. How in the world do I teach that course and not stop and acknowledge the conflict that we're seeing between these two nations? So the co-inquiry process that Carrie introduced that framed the way we did this entire volume um, really has been a sustained learning for me that I continue to apply in my work now as an educator. And you're talking about all these different layers of, of, of complexity and you're, you're sharing some perspectives around that kind of just before the, the most recent question that we, that we pose to y'all and, and that complexity that emerges through the different voices as they kind of dance together through dialogue and leadership education, whether it's the, the topic we had planned to discuss or the topic that, is, uh, that we can't ignore that we have to discuss. I mean, I remember the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, like trying to talk about change and, and some of these things in my intro to leadership class, every example that came to mind was about the pandemic. And this was like, two years ago right now. And I'm like, all right, there's no way we can talk about this without using this. I mean, it's the elephant. It's right here. It's in the room. What are we going to do? Uh, so I'm curious, like piggybacking on that, like now that this project is is completed and, and you know, folks can, can read it, the overall, the title of the whole issue, you know, leadership education through complex transitions. Like what are perhaps some things that you know now about leadership education and complexity that maybe you had some assumptions about or didn't really understand as clearly before the project began? I think twofold. Um, one is, is that we can't think about anything in silos. And so I, I can't take off my hat as a leadership educator and I think about my identity as an uncle, as a citizen of our world. And so all of those come together. The second is, is that um, I've always been a believer that we need to mix and match theories and I believe that now more than ever before, I think you can take the, something like the social change model and integrate it with you know, identity development models that we may see when we're thinking about college student development. I think there's an integration of the two. I think there's ways in which we can mix and marry the various theories that we utilize in our classes and engage them with real world applicability. And I think we need to go a little bit bigger in the conversation. Now we talk about um, controversy with civility. I mentioned that before, but when I would talk about it, I would talk about, about a student having a conflict with their roommate and how do you move through that? That would be my example, like you living in a residence hall. Now it's your grandma. Grandma, you know, has a paradigm in which she believes and thinks, and you have one. How do you sit at that table? That's really the bigger conversations. That's the bigger stage because your roommate saying, I don't like you. I'm going to block you on Facebook. You might be like, okay, whatever. Grandma's saying she's going to block you, metaphorically speaking, that's a whole nother level. And so the energy, the vulnerability that comes in those conversations with our parents, with our friends, with our grandparents and other loved ones, those are the spaces in which I utilize to engage conversations around um, our leadership learning and our leadership theories. I utilize those contexts much more twofold. One, because I think students are able to make meaning of it better. The second is for many students, they were 18 months not on a college campus. 
So some of them don't even know what a residence hall looks like because they never lived in one. So, but they did live with grandma who lives with them in their multi-generational home. So those are some of the things that I take away as it relates to leadership learning from this whole process. Yeah, and for, for me, you know, it, it was, it, when you asked that question, I mean, it, it really, I had to think about it because there there's so much. And, and if there was one thing that I think really, that I was able to, to take away from the process um, is just this really important reminder that there's not one way to do it. Um, that, you know, I, I came from this background of uh, assessment and evaluation, and uh, it's a, a decent chunk of what I do right now professionally. And, and so um, I hold on to outcomes, right? And I hold on to um, accreditation standards and, and um, what does that mean for the classroom and how does it align to the program? And, and, and then I, I think, but to, to what Darren was just saying, you know, the class needs something different right now. And how can we hold on to that need and deliver the quote unquote outcomes, right? Deliver on the outcomes um, with some flexibility, right? Your, your schedule got canceled, um, what we were saying earlier of your like the schedule in your day gets canceled your um your your class session might need to reshuffle because what your classroom needs is different and, and so um some flexibility in that and then the second part of that is also that there are other people that think that way i think there was a, a tremendous amount of value in in finding a community of scholars um who were willing to challenge what i felt like at the time was a dominant way and the dominant discourse of teaching and learning and and so that was also incredibly refreshing for me um and what what the conversation has started as as we've gone to different spaces like ila um like the leadership educators institute and we've engaged in conversation with other scholars um is learning more about how there are other people that think this way right and there are other there are other people that are implementing uh this way of teaching in their classrooms and, and there's also a lot of affirmation in that for me i think you both have shared so many you know meaningful comments and and I feel like we could talk for a little while longer. Um, one of the things I do want to go back to, John, where you talked about that professional socialization piece, it, it's so interesting that you share that because so in, and I feel like you can feel my pain in writing chapter two, my lit review, um, some of the conversation, uh, some of what I'm, I'm, you know, really curious about is, you know, when faculty members like go into the classroom, they have this kind of, they're able to construct that identity in that space. But COVID forced us all to either teach from our dining, our dining room table or our home office. And your students are now able to better kind of judge or um, evaluate or, you know, put together their own assumptions about their, their professor that's broader than this carefully curated like office or carefully curated classroom. And so I feel like the, the blessing of that is our idea of socialization is expanding. Like I can't tell you how many colleagues I've seen their background are in their kitchen and being like, oh, that's a wonderful piece. Like, oh, they like chili too. Like, oh, let me like, let's, you know. And, and so it's so interesting because I, like I was raised in the, like you kept your work at work and your home at home space. And I, I tell my students like, well, your bosses that are 40 and over were professionally raised in this format and fashion. But I feel like one of the things that COVID did was it, it started to break down some of those, those 
um, boundaries that were constructed and allowed faculty to now become humans or humanized, but also still hold the respect, the, the power, the authority that they had in those spaces. And it'll be interesting to see how that continues to play out, especially now that some of us are returning back to being in person and being in the class to those more like traditional spaces. And, and Darren, you said there were 18 months, there were students who were for 18 months weren't in a classroom. It's weird to see if you started with that more personal perspe uh, perspective of your instructor to when you get into the classroom and it's a completely different person background and kind of how do you then as the student adjust to that space made me think about we could write this article on kind of what to do when complexity or chaos interrupts your curriculum. Seems like there's so much to go forward with in that based on what you're saying. And so again, we could talk to y'all forever, but we've you know got a limited amount of time today. Um, just wanted to share our, again, our gratitude. We thank you both for being here today. We're grateful for your time and your contributions to the field of leadership through this issue. And wanna wish you both the best of luck as you continue your work teaching as well as guiding those in the student uh, government, student affairs space uh, and beyond. Thank y'all so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Remember, you can download all our episodes on all available podcast platforms. And when you go, please make sure you rate us five stars, as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. That's right, Lauren. We also invite you to interact with us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod. That's L-E-A-D-E-D-U-C-A-T-O-R-P-O-D. And on LinkedIn by searching for the Leadership Educator Podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn by name and on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Underscore Leadership and Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in New Strategy and Management. And a wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies now at the University of South Carolina. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our listeners. During the season, you will hear episodes featuring International Leadership Association members working globally to drive leadership education. Visit ilaglobalnetwork.org slash podcast for more information and to join the association. And finally, this podcast would not be possible without our chief partner, the Association of Leadership Educators. Please check out the ALE and all it has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you will listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.